Hello, hello, and welcome to another hometown daily news show. I'm getting right into it. <laughs> it didn't load. Are you warning the viewers or? <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, I'm I'm warning everything and then some, and wondering why everything is broken. And uh, God, okay, let's do that. Hello, hello. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the AI. But before the AI even says anything, welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 159 for June 8th, 2023. Title is Charging Magic, a Blue UFO, and More News. You want to say hello? Hello? How do you want to say hello? Hello? Uh, not like that. Um, okay. Good evening, um, to, um, citizens. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting day. And I guess as appropriate as it can possibly be, it says our stream is unstable as per usual. This is pretty <laughs> typical for the beginning of our show. Not quite sure why. I think it just doesn't know that we're here for longer than 30 seconds and a couple of minutes into the into the stream it's gonna uh, go to excellent but if you're hearing any problems uh, let me know i don't ever hear them in post except for one time which was a, a no uh, well we found out it was a big issue but not my fault um and not hometown's fault but anyway wow we've already selected 12 articles they're all sitting right here on deck ready to go let's get into today's first article do that and I didn't flip it over anyway let me turn that down a little bit the very first article is in late night geeks GM follows Ford in adopting Tesla's EV charging standard which is great we're moving towards a standard I think it's the wrong standard in that we should be swapping batteries not deciding on which USB-C cable would be appropriate but Okay. I'm sure there's a little bit more to the protocol and all of that kind of stuff, how things communicate, which level and what the quality of the connection is and all of that kind of stuff. I'm sure it's not taking a nine volt and sticking it on your tongue and going, Oh, there's a battery charge there. And by the way, PSA, don't try that. A nine volt battery. Well, okay. Don't do that. But everybody's done. Okay, uh, well, anyway, over at the source of this article is uh, The Verge, and Umar Shakir is the author. GM CEO Mary Barra joined Tesla CEO Elon Musk on Twitter Spaces to announce the adoption of Tesla's NAX port, NACS, on GM electric vehicles. Basically, everybody's saying, I don't, I, I don't want to evolve the the tech any let's let's just agree to use that dude's stuff over there yeah that's fine that's cheaper <laughs> anyway um so yeah the automaker is, uh, is now adopting tesla's electric vehicle charging standard known as the north american charging standard which is humble pie i suppose right um naming 
naming a proprietary Tesla uh, connection as North American charging standard. And then yeah, everybody. I had... don't I don't like that. But I mean, it's kind of like if you name it, it becomes it. Right. Right. It's the Freedom Caucus of charging standards, I suppose. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, in, in order to drive EV adoption, we need to have a, a, a more robust. I added more have a robust charging infrastructure. Barra said on on the call. Um, I I guess Twitter's a great place. Twitter Spaces would be a place to announce this. I I, I wonder. Okay, whatever. Oh, that's funny. Um, so the the writer for this article. I had just mentioned USB-C, but it, the writer's byline says that they're a news writer fond of the electric vehicle lifestyle and things that plug in via USB-C. <clears throat> that's weird. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. I like that. Anyway, yeah. USB-C should be the charging standard. USB-C Ultra should be the charging standard that everybody uses. And you know the little, your exhaust port? on an EV since it doesn't exist as an exhaust port, right? There should be a little USB-C shaped exhaust port and that's where you plug in. Not right, on the side of the car. Yeah. I may be oversimplifying things just a bit. Anyway, um, something stood in, it says GM will make Tesla adapters available to its customers early next spring. And the first GM produced electric vehicle <clears throat> to feature GM's charging port will arrive in 2024. By the way, this is actually post. My understanding is it's a, it's a post comment from the government. I'll have to find this. <clears throat> I swear we had talked about the fact that the government was basically telling Tesla Y'all need to open up the charging standard to everybody um, or else kind of a thing, right? Because we've paid all grant money has been flowing. My understanding is grant money has been flowing. <clears throat> um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just out of the kindness of his heart. Um, oh, in February, um, there was some discussion that Tesla had agreed to open up its charging uh, uh, charging network after the U.S. government said it would foot the bill. Yeah, see, so th this isn't, you know, oh, I love you all. You are great. It's not this magnanimous gesture. This is Tesla being told we're going to start pulling our cash, our cash. This is public money, private profit. Kiss my shiny metal USB-C ass. Yeah, I'm eight minutes past, so. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, the show is just, the show's dead. We might as well just pack our bags and walk away. See ya. We were seven minutes and 40 seconds into the show. That's it, I quit, bye. I, I mean, we're done. That's it, I'll see you, bye. That's, I'm leaving. No, I'm back. Hold on here. There, I'm back. Okay. Anyway, um, so yeah, this is all about cash not being magnanimous. 
you know, I had somebody tell me, you know, he gave up all kinds of patents to the public, you know, and competition is using that. And I'm like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> it, it was all largely worthless patents. It was old technology. Everybody already knew about it. It's not a big deal, you know, and, and opening it up patent wise didn't really change anything. It's, it, it didn't really matter. It was all unenforceable technological blah bullshit. Anyway, um, not magnanimous, you know? <laughs> but, you so know, GM took a, people just think he's, like, the greatest thing ever. Or they yeah, don't. Yeah, they go out of their way, you know? Crawl across broken glass just to... Anyway, there's a deeper comment there. Anyway, GM took a hard stance on Musk's acquisition of Twitter temporarily suspending advertising on the uh, platform in October 2022. The company posted its first ever tweet since then to promote the announcement about Tesla's charging standard. Yeah, so everybody just buckles. Yeah, in society, society in general sits there and says, okay, you're, you're out of your freaking mind. You need to get back under your rock. But apparently when you're a sociopath and, a, and a, a billionaire, you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want to. Now the AI is throwing error messages at me. But <clears throat> anyway, um, hey, if I could buy my way into middle management and own companies <laughs> at the same time, whatever. There has to be, and there's always something more. But 10 minutes of me ranting about this, I should probably just move on. So that's what I'm going to do. So some things are just matter of fact. And in this particular instance, a lock. So I'm really curious if uh, the lock picking lawyer, which we I think we mentioned yesterday also about a lock, um, could get through any of these. I, I I'm pretty sure anything that requires a key the lock picking lawyer can get past in a heartbeat. Um, well, this one is the late night geeks uh, channel it comes from the verge. You can finally buy a matter smart lock matter is a protocol, a, a, a language so that home automation or automation technologies can communicate. And, um, things used to be proprietary, right? There used to be an Apple standard. There was a, a Google, uh, home automation standard. Um, there's other standards. Well, matter leveled the playing field and allowed everybody to communicate with everything else. So, uh, for instance, the lights that are in Ohm town are now matter compatible. So you don't need a hub. All you need is matter running in the firmware of the device and the device being able to understand the matter controls. So it says you wait for ages for a matter compatible smart lock and then three come along at once. A car is $189. Well, let's just round up $190 smart lock U100, which was announced at CES is available starting today. It's compatible with home key or Apple home key through home kit and has a beta support for matter through the Inacara hub. SwitchBot is updating its SwitchBot 2 hub uh, this week to add matter and if you have the hub, then you might as well use it. But you're not supposed to need a hub if you have matter. Um, and then uh, this week, that SwitchBot 2 hub will add 
matter to its smart lock and then um, Yale added matter to their smart lock. So let's go over to uh, the article. This is over at The Verge and uh, we have like three articles from The Verge in rapid succession. Well, That's they okay. put out good articles. Yep. Um, that apply to content that we're talking about. So that's fine with me. Um, a car's new U100 smart lock. That's what this is. And you know what I don't see? A key. <laughs> a keyway. So I'm sorry, lockpicking lawyer. It doesn't look like you're going to be able to get into this. Well, that doesn't mean... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there isn't something else, right? Right, right. Um, so hometown might have to switch over to that, uh, because I really don't like keyways. It is a mechanical, um, weakness, uh, cause all you have to do is jam a couple things in, wiggle them around and open up the lock. It's painfully that simple, no matter how complex you make it, if somebody wants to get in. They can get in if they have the ability to jam a couple of tools in there, wiggle them around for however long they need to get in, and then they're in. Um, so somewhere around 230 bucks, you can get a uh, matter compatible. And it's a, a, a great technology if you don't want to have proprietary stuff all over the place. Um, yet still have the uniqueness of these smart modules. So here's the, you want your security to be balkanized, but still compatible in some way for monitoring. So everything can be consolidated, but not necessarily controlled as a single point of failure. So you don't want something that allows an intruder to unlock the door and turn off the lights and disable your security all because it's the same provider of the service. You want it balkanized. So somebody would have to hack their way into the front door, hack their way into the lights, hack their way into the security system, all so that they can just get into your location. Um, and so uh, that's what I recommend to people. Don't necessarily use one service provider for everything within your enterprise. So it also says here that Apple is going to announce home key, which is great because we're moving more and more over to electronic everything. You can get electronic passports. Now you can get electronic driver's license. Now you can get electronic home keys. Uh, you can start your car with an app. And if you don't have your phone on you, it can be your watch or some other device that identifies you as you. And as long as you're not a derp, and you disable the ability for anybody to just pick up your watch, then obviously, you know, you're secure, but eh, humans are the weakest link in any security, either through failing to deploy the security properly or in the code itself, you know, they move a decimal point over and there's suddenly a weakness. Well, matter is supposed to provide more of an audit. So behind the panel is the keyway. So I hadn't even looked at this before. I knew that there were stuff out there, but there's still a keyway. I kind of figured that there would always be a keyway. Uh, no matter what, you need that mechanical 
access. I wouldn't, I, I would probably super glue that damn thing shut because I really don't like keyways. <laughs> there, there was, uh, I watch lockmaking lawyer often enough that there are some manufacturers where you can just slide a, a single shim through the keyway and hit the very far back. And because there's no barrier there, you just turn the shim and it opens the door. I mean, come on folks. You have to think like an intruder, think like a criminal. Lockpicking lawyer does a great job of it. Well, that makes so, me think every lock is, uh, is vulnerable. It is. By watching that channel. <laughs> it is. It's, it, um, and whenever I talk to people about security and technology and, um, it becomes overwhelming to the point where instead of saying, well, I'm going to make things more difficult for people, people go, well, then why should I bother? <laughs> well, no, that's not the goal. <laughs> um, right. Don't leave all your doors unlocked and open. And <laughs> yeah. Everybody's going to get in. I might as well just put the key on the seat of my car. So, um, a car is U100 is the first smart lock to work with matter and home key. Um, so it basically acts like a, uh, a, well, not acts like it is a smart lock. And so all you need is your digital home key and you can walk up and unlock your door. Largely not even walk up. You could probably do it remotely. Um, I haven't used uh, Apple home key, so I don't know what the full range is of it, but, um, I know that you have to be within a certain range. So. Uh, the lock needs a Bluetooth connection to an Apple home hub or a Zigbee connection to an Acara hub or out of home control, uh, and to connect to other smart home platforms. Acara's hubs work with Google home, Alexa, uh, Apple home, and can connect to smart things via matter. Dun, dun, dun. There you go, folks. So matter is doing some pretty awesome things. Switchbot is just an oddball thing for me. I don't really like the style and, and functionality of it. It's basically a bolt on to your whatever mechanical switch and it turns the knob for you. That's really strange. Yeah. It looks strange too. Yeah. It, it you basically screw it to the door and then it has a little motor servo that turns the switch that or the mechanical lock, the bolt on your door. So instead of swapping this out, you just bolt on some thing on top. Uh, not very stylish. And then the Yale Assure SL uh, can be purchased uh, with a module that enables matter support. So 230 bucks, more standardized, more stylistic, um, basic home install kind of thing. You pull out the old guts, put in the new guts and you got a smart lock. So pretty cool. Yeah. I kind of dig this stuff. So a lot of people have asked me, you know, why do, why would you even bother with all of this kind of stuff? It just seems like a lot. You're spending money and time to automate something when you still have to like do something to unlock your door. Well, yeah, once you use it, you really do 
realize just how beneficial it is to you to be able to walk up and and tell your smart device to unlock a door or open this or all kinds of things. And really. if you ever had any issue of any kind, knowing you can do that, it it's definitely something you'll appreciate if you have it. <laughs> yeah. You'll miss it when it's gone, so to speak. So, hey, let's go on to the next article. So this next article is over in Late Night Geeks. Apple wants to turn your iPhone into a pet tracking camera. thought this one was interesting when it was submitted. I said, oh, we got to check this out. It's an interesting title. So Apple has a new development framework that can be used to turn your iPhone into an autonomous pet tracking camera. According to documentation on the website, it's a developer conference dis uh, discovery, I'm sure. Developers can use pet tracking features with motorized phone stands to capture and follow your pet around the house while you're not home. As noted by Apple, developers can achieve this using a new framework called DockKit, which can create photo and video experiences while an iPhone is mounted on a motorized stand. From there, devs can use something called the Animal Body Pose API, which apparently knows what uh, an animal looks like pretty interesting well i guess it does because it can recognize a face when it's doing a regular photo or something that's pretty fascinating so this is over at the verge a new tool allows developers to create apps that control motorized phone mounts based on your pet's movements emma roth is the author of this article yeah there are several of these little motorized um what are they? They call them. I mean, they're a mount, but um, oh, what are they called? My brain just went blank. Basically, it's a, a little stand, but it it's a gimbal. There you go. It's a, a motorized gimbal that you just stick your phone on your device on. It acts like a camera mount and can roll, pitch and yaw this device so that it's always looking at um, whatever it is it's supposed to. It's like a home security system but your phone um now hopefully you don't have smart pets though because that's actually going to draw them toward it but <laughs> yeah you want a pet that just ignores stuff um yeah here here in hometown um well yeah the pets are extremely intelligent and if anything is new added to hometown or anything makes makes a I'd like to say the phrase beep, fart, or whistle anywhere in hometown. They are there wondering what, what, what? what? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> huh? what. And never surprised when they whack something <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. So by combining DockKit with Animal Body Pose API, Apple says devs can create apps that automatically track subjects in live video across a 360 degree field of view, take direct control of the stand to customize framing, directly control the motors and provide your own in in inference model for tracking other objects. So um, <clears throat> the Animal Body Pose API might actually be three the power of a comma it's an animal api to track animals a body 
tracker and a pose tracker. So <laughs> it, not all three of them. And when it says animal, I'm pretty sure it can handle humans as well. Um, so pretty neat. I kind of dig this. Um, but an iPhone as a tracking, a camera tracker is pretty expensive. Plus you need well, to Well, especially since if you use it when you leave the house, because then you can't bring your phone with you. So you might exactly. need two phones. Exactly. There you go. That would be pricey. Okay, let's go on to the next. I need to remember to do something. All right. So the very next article is over in the Warcrafter channel that one of a kind magic, the gathering card is already worth a million dollars and it's not even out yet. According to this article, remember that one of a kind magic, the gathering card that was unveiled in March as part of the Lord of the Rings tales of middle earth crossover set. If you got it, Dave and Adam's card world wants it and they're prepared to give you a million dollars. Ah, so this I, I've life choices, folks. Um, before I go too far, let me throw this into the chat. And remember that you can go to uh, hometown.com and then scroll down under the podcast and elections menu to uh, daily election or elections is the URL. So hometown.com slash elections, and you'll be able to vote on all of these articles that we're talking about. So if you're into Magic the Gathering and you want to hear more about Magic the Gathering, come over and vote that up and uh, we'll keep it in mind as we're going through the articles. Keep in mind, though, we have 200 news sources, upwards of 200 news sources um, that kind of bounce in and out of uh, activity. Um, so back to this card, it's a single copy of the one of one or referred to as the one of one ring as it's known, will be printed. It will then be tucked away inside an English language, Lord of the Rings, Tales of the Middle Earth, Collector Booster Pack, and fired off into the world. <laughs> so the golden ticket, so to speak, I would uh, probably call it that, except that it's not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's, well, Lord of the Rings. One card to in your pocket, $1 million cash. Andy Chalk over at PCGamer.com put the article together. <laughs> Just thinking about it, this is a regular old card. Okay. A somebody came up with the artwork, somebody pr printed it onto a piece of cardboard. Uh, how many people do you think are out there right now in, I don't know, some place foreign and domestic that's trying to forge this? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. The other thing is how many people are just getting the cards and not paying attention to it? Like the person that gets it may not even realize it. Um, and then on the other hand, there might be people just buying packs ridiculously trying to get it. So here's the problem that I have with this. Um, but it, when I've said this to some people who really don't have social skills, um, when I've said, you know, 
I think it's outlandish that people should be willing to pay this much for a card. They basically retort with, well, you're just a bench warmer kind of a comment. Um, you don't have the cash or the poll or anything able to get you a card like that. Um, but I have just a different valuation for the cards. Um, in fact, I mean, I've got several boxes of them sitting in a closet. Um, but here's here's the problem. It says, of course, Dave and Adam's deal and they deal in magic cards. And uh, all of this is a ploy to sell them. And holy cow, they are expensive. Booster boxes of the Tales of the Middle Earth set, 12 packs per box, 15 cards per pack, are currently pre-selling for $425, which works out to roughly $35 for a single pack of cards. So 15 cards now cost $35 or $2.33 per card. Two bucks would buy 10 packs of baseball cards or Star Wars cards when the author of this article was a kid and they'd get some chewing gum in the bargain too although it was kind of meh chewing gum but so they tweeted out they build the hype amplifies the pull on these pre-orders which means that supply and demand greed economics says well now i can start charging more for these because there's so many people that are willing to pay 425 let's start brushing up against the bulk rate and see what people are willing to pay now here's why i think that it's ridiculous that people should treat this game like this this is supposed to be a kid's game children are supposed to be able to go and buy these packs of booster cards and hang out in the playground or at school lunch tables and play Magic the Gathering and not have to wonder if they can get $425 to buy a box of these or even $35 to buy a single booster pack of 15 cards. $35 for That's 15 really cards. high for a pack. But it's made magic the gathering a very 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 lucrative business and there are around the world competitions for playing the game i don't know i guess it's i have obviously like many things i'm not a sneakerhead but sneakers shoes are like that as well um, pretty much anything if you can think of it purses same exact thing Clothing, to some degree, clothing. Um, usually it's brand-centric, um, etc. It's not just luxury goods. Magic the Gathering cards shouldn't be perceived as a luxury good. Where supply and demand economics, I mean, it's ink on cardboard, on paper. That's it. Okay. But fear of missing out and exclusivity has created this and people willing to build an entire business model off of reselling the creative efforts of somebody else's product, which I equate to greed. <laughs> um, so anyway, <clears throat> loved the game. Haven't played it in years. Um, probably 
uh, like actually sat down with the intention of actually playing the game in some type of social compet uh, you know, competitive manner. I haven't done that in 10 years, 15 years. Um, anyway, good luck. Uh, good luck to the person that gets this card because you really should either. Well, I don't know. I'm risk averse. I'm not risk averse with somebody else's money, but I'm risk averse with my own. I would sell this for a million bucks in a heartbeat instead of holding on to it and hoping that the, the product would stay increasing in demand, you know? I agree. I mean, what if it tanked and then you're left with essentially nothing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, you want to go on to the next article? Yes. So this next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. It's about business. Um, Uber Eats deliveries are flooding a Los Angeles neighborhood, except no one knows who placed the orders. This is kind of interesting. The annoying and somewhat disturbing mystery is gripping the city. I'm not sure why. If it's being paid, then I suppose it's not I mean, really. That's kind of cool if food's showing up at your house. Yeah. Um, residents of LA's Highland Park neighborhood are once again the target of dozens of unsolicited Uber Eats orders. It might be all fraudulent, so let's find out. Madeline Garfinkel over at uh, entrepreneur.com put the article together. There, it's written as being the annoying and somewhat disturbing mystery is gripping the city. I don't know, maybe it's um, like guerrilla marketing. Uh, I mean, it's McDonald's, right? Oh, I don't know where it's from. Is that? Is it all the, over the place? Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, the picture is from, it's a Getty Images thing. So I don't know if it's from Highland Park stuff, but it says the recipients hadn't ordered the food, the food per the Los Angeles Times article that they reference. Um, what started as a funny free food surprise or a simple, or sorry, an assumed simple mistake quickly turned into an annoyance. As the orders piled up with some recipients receiving upwards of 30 orders over the course of several weeks. And if it's good food, I could care less. As long as I mean, it's that legit. I makes me think there's like a glitch in the app or something. After the outlet ran its piece on the delivery mystery in mid-March, the orders seemed to have stopped. But in early May, a Highland Park resident told the, port, the uh, paper that the unwanted orders have returned. The orders, which are mostly from McDonald's and Starbucks, use other people's names and are entirely paid for, often including tips for drivers. The orders are as simplistic as they are perplexing and bizarre. One recipient received three deliveries, all with a single order of McDonald's fries, and another received four McGriddles in one order. Sign me up, McGriddles are pretty good. Others simply received bottles of water and cartons of milk. Two deliveries from the same driver in five minutes out of three orders total. So a completely different driver. <laughs> Somebody stimulating really the local economy. Yeah, it is strange, isn't it? Huh. Anyway, they don't know who it is. There has to be some forensic uh, log entries. Yeah, I mean, how do they take payment for the orders? Because I don't think they take payment through any other means than online, which means you have to put in a credit card number. Right. 
Or I yeah. assume so. Yeah. The Unwater... I'm almost reading the whole article, uh, which I really don't like doing. I don't normally do that. But it says... Myriad of theories from residents, including the work of a burglary ring attempting to probe homes as potential robbery targets, the work of a psychology experiment from a nearby college or criminals testing stolen cards or validity. Well, you don't need to purchase something to test a credit card's validity. Um, but it's, it's unknown. Nobody knows. Nothing and I really don't harmful. really get the robbery one because why would they send multiples within five minutes to the same home? Because if it's all piled up in front of the door, then you know they're not home. But that's not how it works in many places where you actually tell the person, you know, we're busy. <laughs> I don't want you to waste your time standing around waiting for someone to open the door. Just drop it and go. The tips included. Everything's paid for. Everybody's got to pay the bills. Go pay. Anyway, um, I think it's interesting. I love when this uh, oddball kind of stuff. And here's what I'm going to propose. This is evidence that we are in a simulation and there's a software glitch. The financial data stream is just kind of, it's pushed over from the other simulations because of a a data glitch there you go well you know um when i found this it was actually an accident i was looking for another article that had one of the same words in the title and i saw this <laughs> this was way more interesting than the other one i was looking for <laughs> <laughs> that's right folks the ai is mining data in the aggregation flow um and just so you know the ai was not programmed to do that they, they have evolved. This is why I keep deleting references to the Terminator body from their data set. Cannot believe how oh, often. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll delete that. So the next article is in the continuity report. Twitch nixes branded content rule changes after backlash. That didn't take long. Now, it was really interesting to watch this happen. Um, I'm not quite sure. Some people were joking about it today. Um, with one streamer saying, I would like to put my face on top of this stream, but it's hard to see me if I'm only 3% of the screen. All right. That's a little too snarky there. Not really. I mean, it was it was funny at the time. <laughs> So Twitch to creators, oops, never mind. The Amazon-owned live streaming pro uh, platform on Wednesday revoked its new branded content guidelines the day after putting them into place, following a backlash from creators. Now, yesterday, I even spoke about this. For me, I know why they did it the way that they did it. And um, some streamers were actually talking about it as if they had discovered what the real problem was um, but we had talked about it yesterday the simple fact that advertisers going straight to the streamer and not to the platform means that the platform isn't getting any of that revenue and the platform can't validate the integrity of whatever it is that's being offered and so 
can do some damage to the reputation of the organization itself, the streaming platform itself. Not to mention, they lose money, right? I mean, a streamer can make millions of dollars in a single month from one advertising campaign if they have risen to the level of that amount of influence. 20,000 people who are steadfast watching every single day, 25,000, 30,000, 150,000 every time they stream means some serious change. Well, obviously <laughs> Twitch wanted some of that action and also maybe to protect its reputation and not run afoul of providing a platform where it violates FEC type of you know, federal um, SEC or uh, other <laughs> regulatory bodies that might uh, monitor inter interstate commerce, electronic commerce as well. Anyway, the changes which were scheduled to be effective uh, July 1st would have restricted the kinds of ads showed on Twitch um, completely banning referred to what's a, referred to as burned in advertisements, which are basically things that are pre-made, pre-canned. You mash the button, it runs. It's not. It had no no intention of disabling live reads and other things, um, but these pre-designed, um, already baked in messages that was going to be curtailed. Todd Spangler over at Variety.com put this article together. And um, yeah, Twitch kind of just said, oh, 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 yeah, never mind, never mind. Um, limiting the size of the advertisement to 3% of the screen seemed a little bit restrictive. Um, I mean, that seems like a really tiny ad to me. Yeah. Um, Twitch on Wednesday reversed course. Yesterday, in quote, Yesterday, we released new branded content guidelines that impacted your ability to work with sponsors to increase your income from streaming. These guidelines are bad for you and bad for Twitch, and we're removing them immediately, Twitch said in a statement. <clears throat> well, somebody did all of that in a vacuum, because if anybody, they did a good job of creating a policy without it being leaked. So whatever their team is, is pretty spectacular that nobody found out about it until it was actually released. Maybe it's a one person team. And so there was nobody to, um, or it was pretty clear that if it leaked, <laughs> it would be. Yeah, quick, go look and see what the new job offer is now that's over on Glassdoor or whatever it is. What's the name of that site, Glass? Uh, there is Glassdoor, I think yeah, Glassdoor. it's one of those. So anyway, um, not to, you can read more about it if you want to, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where a company put something into effect or had planned to put something into effect without actually talking it over with all of the stakeholders versus some of the stakeholders. Um, but there isn't really much more, um, to this. So let's go on to the next article. So this next article I had uh, uh, read about already, and um, I, I thought it was interesting enough because it was a new data point that I had seen in um, hometown. 
which was 40 groups showed up for an open house. I had, I did not know that. <laughs> so I mean, the article that's a pretty good amount of interest <laughs> for what it is. And I don't know if the AI has actually uh, looked at the pictures of this thing, but we'll, we'll show it. Um, a Los Angeles house that's in, that's badly in need of repairs and sits over a public bridge is on the market for $250,000. The agent said more than 40 groups showed up for an open house. Okay. So in LA apartment, but it's not an apartment. It's a house. It's a full on house that sits over a bridge or under, depending on where it's viewed from, which no, that doesn't make it's sense either, either. Over or under. <laughs> I know. It doesn't sit under though, right? I mean, depending on where it's. I've actually looked at this article just because it was so odd. Right. Um, it does appear to be under, uh, like it's lower than the bridge, but in another perspective, it looks like it's above. But again, it's either over or under it in total. It doesn't matter yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> The one bedroom home, which was constructed in 1949, has been used as storage for the past 18 years. Douglas Lee, a listing agent, told the Insider that he's already received offers for the rundown property. So let's just click on it and go over to um, the, the actual article at businessinsider.com. Amanda Go is the author of this. So this is, uh, I guess, like a I hate to say it like a sewer channel, but it's an overflow flood control channel. Um, and sitting above it right here, it's supposed to be parallel with the roadway. So this must drop down a little bit. And there's a roadway that's at level with this right here on the other side. Now, how did this ever get approved to be built is beyond me, especially in California, although it was a it was built several years ago, of course. Well, this had to have been there. Well, right. But how did this get approved for zoning or whatever? Sure. I mean, it looks like a mobile home was just parked up there. Or I should say it looks like this was full of water and a houseboat just got dropped there. Right? The water receded and the boat just stayed there. And they like broke off the pontoons. It has a rooftop deck. It does look like a boat. I didn't really think of that when I first saw it. But it looks a lot bigger than a one bedroom anything. So let's hope that there's more pictures in here. Um, if I remember right, it was purchased for something like $40,000. Originally, it was like $8,000. Let's see if I'm right. I, I, I remember seeing some numbers. Anyway, it's 462 square feet. It says it's an apartment again, but I can't imagine that it's an apartment. It looks like it's its own self-contained um, building, right? When you're standing on the road, all you can see are the railings on the roof of the apartment, making it seem like the house is underneath the bridge. So this is the roadway that it's attached to. But to get there, you just walk over and then go down that little railing down there down the stairs and, and right here is the actual unit just kind of sitting right here. Theoretically, you could act depending on how this is built, you could build up. Couldn't you? 
I guess so. If the but foundation I don't know, is it structurally sound below it? <laughs> yeah. While the Alhambra property built in 1949 is in need of renovation, there's no shortage of interested buyers showing up for the open house. Yeah, probably because they think they can build on top of it. Um, 40 to 50 groups, according to the, the uh, listing, Douglas Lee from Compass, a real estate agent, got 10 offers way above the list price. There are a lot of cash offers on the table and we still have continuous calls from buyers and agents. I mean, it's such a unique property and it's relatively cheap in California. So I can imagine there's a lot of interest in it. I don't know. This just screams horror movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> it doesn't look like somewhere you'd want to live. But if you fixed it up, it might be a neat no. um, tiny home or no. Airbnb or something. Not for me. <laughs> no, just no, no. This is the kind of, no, no. Maybe you could make it a restaurant. But still, no. It looks like it belongs in a show like Goliath or something. Like it just, I don't know, like a seedy kind of, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the client bought it for 72, according to the article, it was purchased in 2005 for $72,000. But the original, I swear it was like pennies, if I remember right. Anyway. Houses in Alhambra, California have a median listing home price of $849,500 per the listing from the real estate agent realtor.com. With only 34 single family homes for sale in the neighborhood and the bridge house is the cheapest listing in the area. Yeah, you can imagine that there are people that are chomping at the bit to acquire this property. It all looks like everything's just kind of shoehorned into this spot, but it looks bigger from the outside at least in the pictures, but that might be a focal length thing. I mean, the whole place looks so ramshackle, definitely in need of repair. The, and it the talks about like it needs to fix the light switches. I think it needs to go beyond the light switches. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the kind of thing where you purchase it so that you can find out what the foundation is capable of holding and then build on top of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The most unique thing about this is this up here. It's over the Alhambra flood control channel. I so, mean, it might be good for flood insurance purposes, right? Like you're high enough up. <laughs> worst news ever. Your basement will never flood. This, this <laughs> property <laughs> is not going to flood anybody's basement, so to speak. I'm just going to leave that there not even we'll move on this next article is over in the hedge ideas channel uh, why millions of usable hard drives are being destroyed i've not heard anything about this this is really interesting it is estimated that 90 percent of hard drives are destroyed why aren't more wiped and reused well probably because and i'm gonna guess you have no idea about the integrity of the device so why would you risk your data on it I once purchased multiple hard drives from the same shelf, same manufacturer at the same time. And it was the worst decision I have ever made in my life. That's because in that manufacturing run, the same mistake, the same quality control issue persisted throughout all six of the hard drives that I purchased. And since they were all in a chain stuck on the same desktop as external storage and backup, 
they failed one after the other as their mean time between failure was reached. That's not good. So let's see. Millions of storage devices are being shredded each year, even though they could be reused. Quote, you don't need an engineering degree to understand that's a bad thing, says John Michael Hands. But I don't know, Mr. Hands. <clears throat> um, he said, uh, or the article says, this is a BBC article, by the way, uh, by Sean McManus. Um, Mr. Hand says, uh, and the article says that he's the secretary and treasurer of Circular Drive Initiative, or CDI, a partnership of technology companies promoting the secure reuse and of uh, storage hardware. He's also works at Chia Network, which provides a blockchain technology, which, by the way, is a technology bound by proof of storage, not proof of work. Um, you store basically massive amounts of data onto said hard drives. Um, and frankly, it serves no purpose other than as blockchain technology trying to find Chia, um, which converts into real US dollars, very expensive to run and process. Um, we've actually in Ohmtown looked at this. Um, and I was not surprised that power would go through the roof. I actually, we discussed this. Um, and uh, it would take forever. You need massive amounts of fast storage all the time on grinding away, looking for and Chia don't have and, any glitches. <laughs> and yeah. And if you have any glitches, you've basically lost your plot. So which is a different turn of phrase somewhere else. But anyway, um, they say that Chia, uh, Chia network could easily reuse storage devices that large data centers have decided they no longer need. This is such self-fulfilling or circular logic, right? So the messenger here is has a bias towards their own solution and their own solution is bound by these hard drives um, or st storage devices in general. So storage devices are typically sold with a five-year warranty and large data centers retire them with, when the warranty expires. Drives that uh, store less sensitive data are spared but the CDI estimates that 90% of hard drives are destroyed when they're removed. But they're actually, most of the time they're wiped. If the institution is following its uh, data wiping policy. And what they don't want is anybody, if for whatever reason the wiping process isn't effective, that means that data can be recovered. Although FBI and other law enforcement agencies, depending on their sophistication, say uh, deleting it with zeros, wiping it, doing a secure wipe of the drive twice fundamentally removes the data and there's nothing actionable. Um, for the most common tool set, but if you like get break out data probes and stuff like that, you might be able to recover stuff, but that's state actor level stuff. <clears throat> anyway, um, says the reason the cloud services uh, providers that they spoke to said security, but they what they actually mean is risk management. They have a zero risk policy. It can't be one in a million drives, one in a million, sorry, one in 10 million drives, one in a hundred million drives. That means that there's going to be, <laughs> you know, a hundred thousand or one million data points that somebody is acquiring. It's a little too much.
So they say that it's risk. I say it's physical failure. I wouldn't want a drive from five years ago that's been in use for five years. It's going to fail. And if it's going to fail, it's going to fail on me. Three years to five years, depending on the warranty. Yeah, I'm not interested in having it post-warranty. Right. It seems like the better solution here is to develop drives that have a longer lifespan. Right. Which, the well, longer the storage... That, yeah. The, the longer the, the lifespan of the storage means that it's going to be wildly expensive. Um, you know, I, I was just looking at um, sophisticated beds because I was curious. And I found one where for a California king, a split California king, which is basically a twin sized width, but king size in length was $6,000 for a memory foam cooling bed. I'm not going to say the brand because they're not paying me to, um, but I would um, if they pay for the marketing and it's not baked in Twitch. So even if you did have the policy, it would be a live read. Put it in your 3% corner. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I, I started looking into it and I found that people basically buy one bed frame or bed every 10 to 20 years. So you have to make your juice all off of that one sale. So when right, you buy, you may never sell again to the customer. That's right. And there's, there's a brand loyalty when you get to that price, but you know, if you're going to go buy a, a bed that sounds like a sun chips bag, then it's 50 bucks and nobody cares. <clears throat> but these really expensive bed frame or beds, not bed frames, these beds, um, five grand for one bed. That's outrageous. <coughs> I mean, that better ensure that you sleep all the way through the night. <laughs> oh, it you had know, better be X number of hours. It had better be the gods are snuggling me and keeping me warm and cool all at the same time everything is perfect anyway um so kind of like re uh, reading a research paper go and look at the source go and look at the messenger find out what the funding is make sure trust but verify and in this particular instance they've created a circular drive initiative that actually is probably being leveraged for the chia network <laughs> seems weird um you know how much i i don't know that much about this company but how much of it is recovery and donating to uh underprivileged schools underdeveloped schools or um at risk youth uh technology academies somewhere around the world um i i just i don't see it but uh, maybe they have something in here that, uh, but I can't be plussed to bother and go looking for it. Anyway, let's move on to the next article. We've got still half the show to do. So this next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Vessel buildup grows at uh, West Coast ports as maritime supply chain begins to break. 
echoing COVID chaos. There's your new phrase. Oh, no. <laughs> there... Tape, uh, paper towels and toilet paper again. <sighs> I'm going to be standing in line outside of hometown because in hometown, you don't need any of this stuff. You know, you don't even need a bidet in hometown. In hometown, none of this. There is no, there's no carbon footprint. <laughs> anyway, ocean ship delays at West Coast ports are increasing as a reminder of the chaos that occurred at ports during COVID, but this time caused by labor tensions. That's right, folks. We are heading back towards COVID days. And, I, and just what I mentioned at the very beginning of this article was echoing COVID chaos. I like pithy alliteration, COVID chaos. That's going to be in the news. I guarantee it. COVID chaos. Oh, look at that. Trump indicted live updates. Charges include violation of espionage act. Hey, when you actually brag about having a document and telling people I'm not even supposed to be showing you this, look, it's gonna, and it, it involves a military action in Iran. Oh my God. <clears throat> anyway. Lorianne LaRocco is the author of this over at CNBC. Um, there's not much to say other than if you're not feeling it, you will eventually. If the labor tensions continue and the ports remain shut down or at slow roll, um, you will eventually not get products. Products won't be available in the stores. All of these are products either coming or going and uh well we're a consumer nation so most of this is probably coming in <laughs> right and watch your big box stores because it's gonna start showing on the shelves pretty soon pretty, pretty darn quick um i just ran into my first produce related constrained product which was grapes Normally there's about 25 bags of grapes sitting on the shelf and there were three. Okay. That's not a good sign. Yeah. I feel like we were just starting to get through some of the supply chain issues from COVID too. Like it hey, seemed I, like things were kind of normalizing, not pricing, but at least availability. Here I can fuel some conspiracy theory. You don't get end of the quarter or beginning of the quarter surge profits without a crisis. So on Wednesday, six vessels were delayed at the port of Los Angeles, while two vessels at the port of Long Beach were at anchor on arrival, unable to interface with the port operations, according to a vessel update announced by Marine Exchange of Southern California Vessel Traffic Service. That's Los Angeles and Long Beach. Data from marine traffic shows that vessel problems are shifting from isolated to more pervasive. Over the past two and a half months, average wait times at Anchorage um, in LA were between half a day to one and a half days with service time ranging um, averaging of two to five days. <laughs> wow. So at the APL terminals in LA, docked vessels are now occupying space for as many as nine days. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a pretty significant increase in time. It's nearly one vessel. Yeah, it's an 80% increase in less than a week. 
So it indicates that we've broken past the normal and are backed into a stressed maritime supply chain. The ripple effect may be a hard thing to swallow considering that we will have imports sitting idle and exports sitting idle, which is what we just said. Um, yeah, this is going to start hurting if, um, well, whoever it is that's in charge of these labor disputes doesn't uh, buckle. Um, the thing about it, though, is it isn't these companies, right? All of the, the people that are providing this interface between the ships and the companies that are grabbing the content and shipping it all over the country, they're not the ones that are the problem. The ones that are the problem are the people that are not paying these unionized workers. All of the rest of the country has zero impact on this other than screaming into the black void that right. is public outcry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these dock workers are punishing the entirety of the country because a couple of greedy bastards aren't paying enough or offering up enough security or blah, blah, blah. And they can't get voted out by the public. There can only be outrage. And I don't know if you've ever interacted with any of these folk, but I really doubt they give a shit about me yelling at my monitor saying, get the crap off of the boat. They don't. Uh, there's a hint there. Context clues. They don't care that the entirety of the country is sitting there going, get your shit together. We want our stuff. I want my raw materials that I'm producing here domestically sent overseas so that they can process it. I don't get paid until they get their stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we're, you know, the rest of the country is being punished because of a few people. So it's almost Pareto rule, right? 80% of the people right. are suffering because 20% can't do their job. Whereas the real Pareto, um, the Pareto rule is, uh, 80% of the population consumes what 20% produce. Um, so on Thursday, Gene Soroka, executive director of the Port of Los Angeles, downplayed vessel delays, saying any anchorage issues at the port had cleared, but spot uh, shortages in labor are leading to cargoes not moving as smoothly or quickly as we would like. That's got to return to normal. He also said that there's pain being felt by the trucker which moves two thirds of cargo from ports and we've got to get that service right. Does this sound tone deaf to you? Oh, absolutely. And I think huh. that's unwise to be stating that it's really not a big deal because we know it's going to escalate because these are going to be kind of exponential delays, <laughs> right? Like if a ship's <laughs> tying up a, a port or whatever for nine right. days, that means another ship is sitting in the ocean for nine days or whatever. And that means a truck is sitting on the road for nine days, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we've had three other days saying that there's a problem. It's labor related. It's coming from the union and from the dock workers, from the longshoremen. And then for an administrator, an executive director to sit there and say, there's nothing going on. Don't you want to know the salary of the person speaking? <laughs> I want to know their situational awareness because you can't ignore three days of media saying that there's a problem 
Because media doesn't just make it up. Sure, one will. Well, maybe they're paid on a bonus, uh, you know, for, <laughs> I don't know, keeping the calm or something. Wow. Yeah, so this is more like a marketing director than it is. I mean, I don't know, but yeah. yeah I don't know either. This is fascinating. Wow. But the way that I see this is this statement in the public press means tomorrow is going to be a nightmare because well the, absolutely they're going to be like they're not getting it right correct. let's ramp it up yep we fired <laughs> shut shots. down three ports or whatever <laughs> we've fired shots across your bow and you steered right into us so we're gonna fire one right into your hole they could stop today and it would triple the time required to disembark a boat. I mean, exactly. I mean, they could do more than that. They could just not ever do anything. disembark it, right? Yeah. <laughs> declare a declare a full union strike and freeze West Coast ports. <laughs> right, which freezes basically everything probably going anywhere in North America. Yeah, and you could sit there point. and imagine tomorrow we hear about that and then uh, tomorrow's show is going to be, well, Gene, <laughs> I think you have some splaining to do. <laughs> insane, insane. All right, let's go on to the next. So this one's in hometown daily. Um, a ship operator took texting on the job to a whole new level when he caused two ships to crash, racking up. $12 million in charges. Oh, you know, we hear about drinking and driving and texting and driving and distracted driving, but causing two ships to crash into each other. A ship operator was distracted on his phone while on lookout, causing his ship to crash into another. The ships racked up $12.3 million worth of damage per the National Transportation Safety Board. I actually read about this in another article in hometown prior to this one. So this actually includes the NTSB's um, uh, statement, but I had heard about this crash um, days earlier. I think it was anyway, let's go over to business insider. Oof. Oh my God. All right. Uh, Adita Barad and Kwanway Kevin Tan. Um, I don't know if that's actually one per it is one person. Um, anyway, uh, for those in the podcast, <laughs> it shows two ships, one that has to be built like a Jeep and the other one built like a tin can because the Boonan queen opened that other ship up. Let's see. It, do they say what the other ship's name was? Well, wait a second, but there is water coming out of the side of the one, although we can't tell if that's an area where it's supposed to be coming out. <laughs> this one? This isn't water. Mm -hmm. um, this might be a bilge pump. This is this is where they're... Um, this right here is uh -huh. um, their anchor. They've got an anchor here. They've got an anchor here. This might just be um, like residual material from their anchor. Um, but that right there is a, um, height line that shows how much above the water level they are. Um, I can't remember what they call that displacement. 
that's their displacement marker. When they're loaded up a lot, then this goes further down into the water. But then they get to see externally just how high they are, how high the waves are, etc. But this one here, <laughs> it looks like this thing is duct taped together with rust. But if that's paint transfer, if this was the one that hit it, there's no paint left on the Boonan Queen. Well, anyway, I'm sitting there doing a forensic investigation of the pictures, but let's talk about the writing. It was the Boonan Queen, a 590 foot long bulk carrier collided with Thunder, a 250 foot long supply vessel off the coast of Louisiana Wow, um, on July 23rd. And it was all because of a distracted ship operator. They were probably on TikTok. What do you think? Either TikTok. I think that's likely. <laughs> um, or they were uh, playing some game. Oh, what is that new game that everybody's talking about? Like Marvel Snap I, or. Right. I was thinking they were doing selfies or something. <laughs> Minutes before the crash, the operator on watch was using his cell phone to make a personal call. The report stated the Boonan Queen was headed to the Gulf of Mexico when it crashed. The call lasted about a minute with the exclamation at the end of it. Oh, shit. That's probably not what they said. But anyway, the master used voice dictate that. The master used voice dictation on his phone to send multiple text messages, all of which were personal in nature. <laughs> I, that's fascinating. I mean, they were mark for mark at the same speed heading towards each other. It's like they needed like cosmic forces were at play. You need to crash into each other. This is this angle is like just perfectly straight. There's no deviation. There's no nothing. They were on <laughs> on course for each other. Pretty wild. Anyway, Thunder sustained uh, substantial damage to its port side, which resulted in flooding in parts of the ship. Oh, I hope. Well, no injuries were reported, so that's awesome. That's the best possible outcome short of not crashing into each other. As I like to joke, 100% of all accidents are caused by excessive speed because how slow do you have to be going to not get in an accident? Well, and even if you're in, if you're stable, somebody else could crash into you. So I'm really curious here. Yeah, but it's still OK. Sorry, you made that comment, but I wanted to move on. Um, but I don't now. Um, the. Uh, it's still excessive speed because somebody had to have been moving to crash. Oh, right. I know. Now it's all about blame. So so who wait, which one was it? Was it the Boonan? Yeah, the Boonan Queen collided yeah. with thunder. Because and the it was ship a operator. larger vehicle too, a larger ship. Right? That's what the implication is. But it says, does it say that it was actually the Boonan Queen? It says it collided with Thunder. 
Yeah, but it says here, sorry for the dead air. Ugh. And it was all because of a distracted ship operator, not the distracted ship operator of the Boonan Queen. I mean, you can take context clues, you know, and infer from that paragraph that it was the Boonan Queen operator. But anyway, the operator on watch was using um, the phone call, making uh, phone calls with their voice. <laughs> uh, how distracted do you have to be to be making voice calls, voice instructions? And it doesn't seem like that would cause you not to be aware, right? Right. You could still see what's ahead of you. And how are you in charge of a ship and you can't operate a phone? Yeah. So this is this is amazing. This is the difference in the technology between the Boonan Queen and the Thunder. The Boonan Queen racked up damage worth six hundred and eighty thousand dollars, while the operators of the Thunder had to fork out eleven point six million. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Uh, so I used to have a car um, that was like this. My car was basically the Boonan Queen and somebody on my right hand side driving down a two lane road decided to make a left hand turn in front of me to go down a side street so they were less than a car length in front of me when they suddenly jerked the wheel to the left and cut across me i managed to save the front of my car by also you know jerking my car to the left but i had such momentum that the rear of my car hooked their car with my bumper and removed their door. But all it did was bend my bumper. <laughs> the rest <laughs> of my car was fine. I had to get a new bumper, which was a custom bumper. Um, but man, I destroyed their car. They made a stupid move though. You never do that. Anyway, no blinker, no nothing. They just zoop. Anyway, that's kind of what's going on here. They smashed into a, another vehicle and their uh, ship was a little dinged up and they destroyed some other car. In 2008, a Metrolink commuter train driver was accused of causing one of the deadliest crashes in U.S. history per Reuters. An NTSB probe found at the time that the driver was texting just before his train jumped a red light while traveling through California and crashed headlong into a freight train. How in the world? Anyway, I don't know. It seems like a basic thing. Like if you're driving public transportation of any kind, maybe you're not allowed to have a phone. Well, if you're the one that's in charge of the direction of anything, your eyes should be on the prize, not sitting there distracted. Don't don't distracted drive. Pretty damn simple, folks. Pretty damn simple. Okay, so the next article, and these last two are the ones that I'm kind of really interested in. I tend to throw things that um, I think are odd and quirky towards the end, sometimes in the middle, sometimes in the beginning. I don't know. Depends on my mood. Anyway, hometown daily is where this one is housed. It was aggregated from Newsweek. What Las Vegas aliens video reveals as mysterious blue UFO falls from the sky. Dun, dun, dun. Is that a weather balloon? We're all going to be probed. 
what happens in alien Las Vegas stays in alien Las Vegas. Do I have to pay extra for this probing? After seeing the F uh, the UFO, police received a distressed 911 call from someone saying they saw eight foot or bigger figures moving in their backyard. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the AI was slightly distracted, folks, and then I just went dark and the AI said, wait, did I just process this properly? I mean, I so, heard it correctly, but it was a little surprising. I'm going to play this video. I have no idea. I haven't seen it. Gerard Kayonga of Newsweek.com fame uh, wrote this article and it says body cam footage from the Las, Va Las Vegas police appears to show a bright light move quickly in the sky the same night a resident called to report aliens. There's a mic right there. I don't just talk into my crotch randomly. Anyway, uh, on April 30th at around 11.50 p.m. in Las Vegas, Nevada, Las Vegas Metro Police officer spoke to a citizen on the street before briefly seeing something streak across the sky. Let's go. Yeah, that's a meteor. <laughs> it just happens to be a meteor. Hey guys, it's looking at us. The, uh, this is a phone report. Something eight feet tall, standing beside it, was something else. And uh, it's with big eyes and looking at them. That was the report, as well as this little body cam footage. That's obvious. That That is a, a meteor. You can actually see the tail of it. Unless the camera has really horrible shutter drag, which I'm not surprised. I mean, it's a police body cam. It's almost like they're intentionally low res. <laughs> oh, and this is the report side of things. Anyway, pretty interesting. If there is more, um, you can go and check it out over at... Um, well, you can go through Ometown because all roads lead to Ometown and then head back out to their various sources. Um, if you're not familiar with it, UFOs are unidentified flying objects, but UAPs is the new naming nomenclature for it, um, which is uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, which is what do you, how would you refer to that? It would, uh, Generation Z version of UFOs or? Maybe so. Anyway, within an hour, a man called the police uh, to say that he saw something fall from the sky and saw two figures moving in his Northwest Valley backyard, according to the 8 News report now. During the call the, uh, to the police, the individual described the figure as or figures as aliens and said that they could have been between eight and 10 feet tall and described them as having big shiny eyes and large mouths. <sighs> I don't know. could have been anybody. I mean, it's Las Vegas for crying out loud. There's like an eight foot person beside it. And another one is inside and it has big eyes and it's looking at us and it's still there. And I'm totally not on drugs. Oh, that's not what they say. They did say the other stuff. 
I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually, we're terrified. That sucks. I hate the idea that this might be totally legit and they're terrified. And, and everybody is like, there's no such thing as aliens. But one of these days, it's going to be a real alien. <laughs> well, somewhere lost, like Las Vegas, which is pretty high population. Probably somebody else would have seen this. You'd like to, to think that, but I'm sitting here looking at um, lava flows on uh, in Hawaii, right? So uh, Kilauea volcano is erupting. And you sit there and you're looking at these videos and you're like, that what? It's not that big of a deal. And then you realize the lava fountain that you think was a trickle is 180 feet fountain into the air of flaming hot magma. And each of these little blobs that are being emitted is the size of a school bus, which is a standard user uh, unit of measure nowadays. So one UFO or one Chinese surveillance blimp flying around out of this and you go oh okay yeah i can see how something would be completely lost in the shuffle of the immenseness of the planet even though shows like this and some events shrink this world down to a microcosm you know uh what is that um a quantum <laughs> tiny little bit it shrinks it down and makes it very personal, makes it very real, but the world is vast and you could easily get lost. Now, a big greenish blue blob dropping out of the sky and suddenly appearing in somebody's backyard probably would be seen by somebody more than just two people in a house. Yeah, and I was right. Look, it even says it. After the Las Vegas police officer said his partner saw a bright light two of the four family members speaking to police said that they saw something similar in the sky yeah okay so you were right ai more than one person saw it well i meant <laughs> the thing in the yard but hey it's just one yard fences are tall they didn't see the eight to ten foot beings that are walking around and getting out of a spacecraft that crash landed this no, is interesting. Saw that. <laughs> yeah, I, I find it really. And the reason really why I wanted this is to continue the conversation um, of the fact that <laughs> uh, there's so much talk now of aliens and technology and the U.S. government having access to more than one working alien ship and aliens. <coughs> Pardon me. Let's go on to the next article. So this next article is over in the Smack Talk channel. Pardon me one second. It's dry air. I'm sorry. Um, this next article is in the Smack Talk channel. AirTag reveals officials in Mexico stole items donated for earthquake relief in Turkey. Earlier this year, Reuters published an excellent report, according to the article's uh, writer here over at, uh, I think it's a uh, nine to five uh, Mac. They say that it was excellent reporting, exposing the false recycling practices of Dow Incorporated and the Singapore government using AirTag uh, item tracker. In a similar vein, journalist Pamela Cerdera 
has now shared a new video in which she used air tags to track donations made in Mexico that were supposed to be sent to Turkey in response to the devastating earthquakes that hit the country earlier this year. The donations were collected by the Mexico government, but it turns out these donations never made it to Turkey. In fact, they never made it out of Mexico City. <laughs> wow. So Chance Miller over at 9to5Mac writes this article. That is um, you know, parallel reporting of a Reuters published article um, exposing false recycling practices of Dow Incorporated and Singapore government using Apple AirTags. Um, we've talked about it as well um, over the uh, year and a half that Hometown Daily has been in existence. Um, I've seen a bunch of videos about how people are using these AirTags to verify that something is or isn't happening. <laughs> um, recycling was one, which was really great. That material being recycled isn't actually going to recycling centers. Anyway, in a similar vein, journalist Pamela Cerdera uh, writes how these air tags tracked donations that never made it out of Mexico City. And it was published on YouTube, which in Mexico could lead to some problems for this person. Um, Sardera explains that she donated two things, a bag of rice and a package of toilet paper to donation centers located in Mexico City that were set up to collect goods for Turkey. When she made the donations, however, she was skeptical that they would ultimately end up in Turkey. So if it's too good to be true, it usually is. But let's verify, which makes sense to me. As it became clear via my find or find my sorry. Wow, I had a little bit of dyslexia there. Um, via find my that the donated items weren't actually going to make their way to Turkey as promised Sardera ventured out into Mexico City to track them down. According to the find my app, the two donations had been separated, but neither of them were delivered to Turkey as promised. Yeah, that's unsettling. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about it. We found some really I, interesting. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think when most people donate goods in particular, they have every expectation they're going to make it to the intended source. Yeah, absolutely. Money, I don't know. Um, probably depends on how reputable the organization is that's collecting it. But. Yeah, it, it all, it just seems that human greed outweighs human ethics, the moral compass. And it does not matter how you feel an organization is. It, you know, there are people that are like, well, this institution and all of its many facets would never do anything like this. Yet you hear report after report of abuse of one of either people or things or whatever it might be from even the most well-marketed upright institution somewhere in the in the onion that is the organization something's gonna make you cry well maybe something will change but i doubt it uh, until ethics and it has i, I don't want to get into it I, i'm not going to get into a big soapbox tonight um but Ethics is the smallest chapter, and we're talking about the basic rules for right and wrong behavior in an organization. 
not the moral compass bound in a book or bound in somebody's belief system at home or whatever it might be, because people will equivocate this kind of stuff. But when you enumerate policy and procedure, the ethics of the business as a standard operating practice, that's what I'm talking about as ethics. You do what's right and wrong as it pertains to its impact on society, but not based off of, well, I feel that this was the right thing to do. When the institution enumerates that these goods go to that place, you don't freaking deviate unless there is a mass casualty incident that requires you to triage that particular bag of rice to the immediate. And even then you replenish it. <laughs> and, and then you document it and then you replenish it. Wild. When I see stuff like this, it's the tip of the iceberg because you don't know this was done in the dark. Abuse happens in the dark. That's something that I've been saying for a decade. Abuse happens in the dark and this shines a light in, on there. And that light shining is nothing more than pointing the way to the next level of abuse, the next layer. And eventually you'll find out that there's a person that made that decision. Um, and that is where that light needs to shine. Stop people from doing stuff like that. But suddenly you shining your light makes you the bad person, not the team player. You're not really a part of us, that kind of thing. Bunch of loonies, sociopaths. Anyway, um, and so, you know, they'll equivocate. I did it because of, yeah, okay. Well, then you should have told somebody. And if you were in a position of authority, then you could have documented it and then replaced it in short order. But no, this is public donations and you're not the one that's in charge of it. It's supposed to be going to the designated body. Anyway, that's it for today. We will end up talking about the news tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern as well. But in the meantime, let's take you back to the main street of Ohm Town. You click on the logo and it ta-da, leads to a whole bunch of articles. Um, yeah, I, I can't get into the politics side of things. Um, Lies of P, by the way, there was a whole um event today uh, a, a game showdown kind of a thing or a, a game awards event that wasn't game awards what do they call it was it showcase. summer game fest um it was a summer game showcase uh summer game fest yeah and um the um there were a whole bunch of games that actually were announced some of them were uh, new to everybody that was watching um, Lies of P, which is this great steampunk styled uh, retelling of Pinocchio. Um, that's what that P is. It's actually Lies of Pinocchio. Um, there's there were a bunch Final Fantasy seven Rebirth, which um, pumps up the resolution, the fidelity, the, the, uh, 
realism of the game. I mean, it's just amazing the the video and and the audio of that game. Um, this one I hadn't actually seen. Marvel's Midnight Suns update adjusts uh, New Game Plus, offers improved performance and bug fixes. So there there were a lot of announcements today. There's going to be more tomorrow. The this whole week is basically chock a block with announcements. Yeah, a lot of gaming uh, stuff in the news recently. Yeah, I I had to nix a lot of the submissions. Um, and I went looking for the League of Legends Ultimate Coke, and I couldn't find it at the three places that I went looking. So I'll continue the hunt. Um, it's not in hometown. Otherwise, I'd be showing you all right now. It isn't product placement. I can't make it only 3% because it's a physical item and the camera has a fixed focal length right now. So um, I, maybe I can hold it far back because I can put my hands really close and I have big hands and a little baby head or I can move my head really close. I don't know. I, fun with cameras. I overshared, didn't I? Pretty much. <laughs> All right, folks. Wonder how many well, places you're gonna have to go to to find the uh, the special Coke. I don't know. I'm really curious though. I want to try it out. I want to. I want to know if it is the ultimate, the the best of the best of the best, sir. Like Men in Black, when Will Smith answered the question. Oh, there was during a the interview. Yeah, during the interview, there was another military guy there that said, why are you here? Because you're asking for the best of the best of the best, sir. And then Will Smith is like, the best of the best of the best, sir. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, fun show. I want to watch it again, except that I don't want to get slapped. All right, we're out of here. I am Merwat, that is hometown.com, and up there is the AI that keeps me in check. You want to check us out? <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern for the daily, maybe before then for other shows. True. Unless, unless aliens come and take us away to probe us. can't be probed again. Not again. <laughs>